I'm Russ Kickel, and on today's episode of American Reef, we've got Roger Vitko from Tunzi USA on the show. So why are we talking to Roger? Well, from my end of it, it's one of those things where um, I always wanted to get a manufacturer's kind of viewpoint on kind of the top kind of issues that they see coming in for repair and maybe how they actually repair those kind of uh, issues and maybe give us some tips on how we can kind of repair them ourselves and maybe ways to kind of avoid that. And normally what we'll do is we'll talk to other querists and say, hey, hey, this is what's going wrong. You kind of kind of get advice that way. And very rarely do we actually get to talk to the manufacturers to kind of hear their side of it. And luckily from Roger's end of it, again, he's been doing this for many decades. And uh, again, he's got many years of experience with Tunzi as well. So, he, you know, he's access to kind of the engineers and the designers and those kind of people who kind of know the, the chemical reactions and why certain things work and why certain things don't work. And as such, I figured, again, good content that you would find valuable. As such, kind of let's go talk to Roger. Again, Roger, thank you again for taking the time, right? Always appreciate it, sir. No problem. Good to see you, Russ. It's been a while, right, since we've kind of done one of these videos. It has. I, I guess I've been with you in spirit and likes <laughs> and that, but uh, uh, it's good to be back on the show. Well, let's see if we can kind of increase these a little bit more because, like today's topic, I think it's one of those things where a lot of people don't get and understand, um, and uh, I think it's probably valuable for everybody, so... And just before we kind of get into the topic, let's just make sure for a level set, since we've got a lot of new hobbyists that have joined, et cetera, why don't you explain a little bit about yourself, who you are, and then we can kind of jump into the topic. Well, I'm, I'm Roger Vidko. I run Tunzi USA. Um, I've been doing this for 16 years now. Um, U.S. distributor, I handle all the repairs and service and uh, answer all the emails and forum posts. So. Most people that own a Tunzi product know me, um, and I, you know, just came on your show today to try to deal with some of the more common issues and and see if we can give people some helpful hints. So. 
Yeah, so to that point, let's line that up. Meaning a couple of videos back, right? We were talking about like cleaning pumps with muriatic acid and stuff like that. And you and I kind of had an exchange about how basically that when you use muriatic acid, basically uh, it kind of has the reverse effect of kind of cleaning. This is with uh, power heads, right? They were the, the Trebelli pumps, if I remember correctly. Right? Sure. Well, yeah, the, the issue, and I learned this early on when I started working for Tunzi and would have not known this otherwise, but when you're dealing with acids, you know, besides the pH, there's also another factor, electronegativity. And a very strong acid like muriatic acid is extremely electronegative, which means it's very reactive. And even though we generally think of plastics as being inert, they will react with, with acids. And so what will happen is you'll get some hydrogen bonds on the plastic and the plastic will actually swell. So you're kind of defeating yourself in that you're cleaning off this calcium, but now the plastic's swollen and your tolerances are tighter. And so you end up building up more calcium because there's more friction, everything's running hotter. And so you're cleaning them again and constantly increasing the dimensions of the of the plastic to where things don't fit very well anymore and uh, from what the factories told me it's it, you can actually increase the dimensions by about 10 percent from this uh, swelling effect so you want to stick with with mild acids organic acids are best uh, vinegar citric acid um, they work slower but you know that's that's kind of the the compromise. Um, you can also use phosphoric acid. Phosphoric acid works reasonably well as in terms of being fast. Um, a, you know, a lot of the products, there's actually aquarium products on the market that uh, remove calcium. If you wanted to buy one of those, you can. Most of those are actually like sulfumic acid, which is what's in um, Kaboom. Uh, you know, it's, it's basically a, a fairly it's it's a strong acid, but it's not uh, a very electronegative acid. It's not very reactive. Sure. Okay, so now, <clears throat> given kind of you want to go with one of those types of acids, does like uh, time make a difference as well? Meaning, if you're using an organic acid, right? If you're if normally muriatic acid, for example, may take whatever, 30 minutes, and you keep it in an organic acid for a day or two days, will it have the yeah. same kind of end result? It will. I mean, you know, the, the key points, like here I have a, a 60-55 motor. The the key points are going to be... Now, hold it. Do everybody a favor. Lift it up. There we go. Okay. The hole in the middle of the propeller has to be clean because that's what's actually spinning on the shaft. Okay. The shaft needs to be clean. And when you look down in there, there should be no white deposits left. That's when you've really got it clean. If you don't have it really clean, it's kind of the same as the, the issue to have with uh, the strong acid. Because you have deposits left behind, your tolerances are tighter. Things get hot from friction and, and uh, you know less ability for water to pass through and cool the motor. And so you're going to end up with a dirtier pump sooner than if you got it really clean. And I would, I personally would just, all I do when I clean my pumps, I take this pump, I sit it upright like this, and I just pour straight vinegar down the hole. Okay. I don't have to use much at all doing it that way. 
I wait about a half hour, dump it out, rinse it under some running water, scrub a little bit, fill it again. And I keep doing that until it's completely clean. That way, I'm only using the minimum amount to clean what actually needs to be clean. And then at the same time, I'm soaking this in about 50-50 vinegar and water. And to me, that's the easiest. It's the least mess and just uses the least amount of vinegar. So you're not... Sure. So, so now when you soak that propeller, for example, in that 50-50 water, okay. uh, yeah. it, that's good enough to get up inside that little hole? You don't get like air bubbles or anything like that? No, if you've taken it out of the motor, it'll get clean. I mean, it, it's it's mainly if you left it in the motor, then with the shaft in there, the passage is so small, there's hardly anything going to get in there and, and clean it. Yeah. But if you actually have it disassembled and it's just dropped in a cup, it should come out pretty much immaculate within a few hours. Okay, so then well, I know I'll talk to hobbyists. What they'll do is they'll take a 50-50 solution uh, and they'll put, a, again, a whole bucket they dump yeah. the whole head in and plop, you know, power it on, so to speak, right? And yeah. just let it go for a couple hours or three hours. You can do that. I, I kind of advise against it because personally I've uh, gotten sidetracked and done other things. And if you have three or four pumps running and a couple of gallons of water, I mean, that water can get to where you come back and there's steam coming off the top of it. <laughs> I mean, you do have several watts of <laughs> motors running if you're doing lots of them. Um, and that can be pretty hard on the cords and the motors to get them that hot. Sure. Um, I've actually done that before where, you know, I set every pump I had on my tank from the skimmer and everything else in a, about three gallons of water in a bucket, plugged it in, got sidetracked doing other stuff, five, six hours pass, and you come back and there's steam coming off the bucket and you can barely touch the water if you can touch it at all. Right, right. <laughs> and then you got to worry, geez, did I ruin something? So. Right, right, especially electrical, right, to your point with the wire. It's so funny because, you know, anybody who ever does that manual, you know, auto top off kind of water change stuff who walks away from it while they're filling up the tank and then, you know, pretty soon the, you know, the, the floor's flooded, et cetera, because... I think the, everyone's done that. I mean, that's just... Yeah, I even... Here at the warehouse, I was testing a pump and I, I left the, the faucet running and my guys will come out, you know, hey, the whole place is flooded, and we wasted an hour on Monday, which is never a good thing, cleaning up the floor. So, <laughs> Right, exactly. Okay, so if we go back to the, the, the clean, okay, so that's the maintenance on, we'll say, a normal Torbelli. Is there any other maintenance you would do on that Torbelli while we're talking about I mean, for the most part, that's you just keeping the motor clean is what you need to do about every three to six months on most of the models, okay. depending on your calcium level and... You know, in a freshwater tank, you'd easily go a year, but uh, and even on a fish only, you may be able to go six to twelve months. But if you're doing a reef tank, it's it's probably going to be in that three to six month range. Okay, so then if I'm someone who just bought a Turbelli powerhead, for example, it's less than a year old, right? But for and, and it stops working, the first thing that I would do is what you just said: vinegar. Open it, take the propeller out. You know, if yep. the propeller's really stuck probably want to give me a call or send me an email because then you risk yanking the shaft out. It'll be seized to it by calcium. And there's some tricks to get things out without damaging it. Generally, you need something to restrain the shaft, like a nail or something that you slide from the top. Mm -hmm. So you hold that down while you pull up on this with a twisting motion. And usually then you can get it out. 
Got with, it. Without damaging the pump. And when that happens, when you do get it out, your pump's still okay. You just got to clean it now, right? Just got to clean all it. All that just procedure. The, yeah, all the pumps have safeties where if they get too hot, they turn themselves off. Now, that doesn't, you know, it's like any switch. You flip it so many times, eventually it's going to break. But, you know, it, it, it within reason, if you get to it within a reasonable time, it, you'll be able to get the pump back up and running. Sure. Now, if, okay, so if, when you say get to it to a reasonable time, that, that switch, though, is something that is there for safety measures, right? Right. And if that does happen, then can they, should they just, you know, give you a call to kind of see if they can replace it or, or what's the protocol? Well, for that? If, if the thermal safety goes out in the motor, the motor has to be replaced. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's everything, once, a, once an aquarium pump's made to waterproof everything, there's resin poured over it. You can't get into it to, uh, to change that switch, so. Sure. And now I know, for example, you normally will have two-year warranties on your products. Yep. Is that covered under the warranty or no? I mean, you know, warranties are made to cover defects, not right. neglect or right. abuse. So it would depend on the circumstances. Right. Uh, you know, as long as the pump looked like it was cared for, yes, it would. But if it looked like, you know, right. something that... A limestone rock you found out in your yard with a blue propeller in it, we'd, we'd probably have to consider that it wasn't carried. Right, right. And, it's, uh, and to me, that's important because why do you want to take care of something, right? Because you don't want to waste that money that you've invested in that product. Right? Right. And it goes both ways. So, okay, cool. Um, okay, so on, so from a pump perspective or Trebelli perspective, that pretty much, that that's all the maintenance you need to do there. And yeah. what about something kind of like, your osmolator, because I know everybody's got two things, right, from, from Tunzi, right? The, the Trebelli pumps and the osmolators, right? What kind of maintenance do you got going there? I mean, the osmolators, there's not a whole lot of maintenance to do. You know, for the most part, maintenance will be limited. Let me get my samples here. But maintenance on the on the regular osmolator, I've got one here that I've got the, the cover off so we can see some things on the circuit board I wanted to show you. Okay. But maintenance is pretty much limited to keeping the optic sensor clean. Um, and it's similar intervals, you know, about every six to nine months. This will get a mineral haze on it that will essentially render it blind. Um, so soaking it in vinegar, usually about two to three hours, wipe it with a soft towel, you're back in business. And the symptom of that will usually be a perpetual green light. Uh, basically, it always thinks the water's level because it can't detect whether the water's there or not. Um, the float switch, very few problems with that on the regular osmolator because it's just a backup, so it's usually out of the water anyway. On the nano osmolator, we use the same float switch, but the float switch is actually the, the main switch. So you'll get 4M sponges, uh, you know, small tube worms and that that build up in there and can restrict the movement. Same thing, soak it in vinegar, dissolve those little critters off of there. You're back in business. So, and, and when you soak, when you soak <clears> in <throat> vinegar, as far as the float switch, you don't have to worry about that weakening. You know, again, any of the the plastics. Or, or no, it do. And um, when you said you'd have a constant green light on, yeah. Is the translation to that is the eye is actually not working at all, and you're relying on that float switch? 
So if you see no. that happen? No, the water would generally be very low. If the flood switch was up on the regular osmolator, you'd have the red to highlight and an alarm. Oh, that's right. So. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, on the osmolator, the main things I wanted to address were, you know, installation issues, common common issues people have when they just get one. Um, you know, the nano osmolator, the most common issue is that <clears throat> since we only have one sensor, to incorporate a safety, we've built in a timer into the circuit board. Mm -hmm. And out of the box, it's set for tanks under 25 gallons. So the timer is set for a minute, 1.8 minutes, which is a minute and 48 seconds. If this flow doesn't go back up within that time, the system shuts down and doesn't run again. You have to manually unplug it and plug it back in to reset that timer. So if your tank's bigger than 25 gallons, there's a little jumper on here. And it's kind of hard to see there, but it's on two pins. Mm -hmm. We pull that jumper off and set it on one pin. And really, that's the same as if we just pulled the jumper off and threw it away. We're putting it on there for safekeeping in case we want to change it later. But this changes the time to three minutes, which gives us more time for tanks 25 to 55 gallons. And as long as the flow rises in time, it resets the timer for the next run cycle. But if it doesn't rise in time, this is what's going to shut it off. Say the float got stuck or your tube disconnected from the tank and was just pumping water on the floor. This is what's going to turn it off and prevent a, you know, you could still have a minor catastrophe, but you're not going to empty your whole bucket. So. Right, right. And now um, I know some viewers uh, would ask me, like, when that happened, for example, sometimes they would get a surge. I'll call, actually, I'll call it an intermittent, kind of like a, a zzz, and then stop yeah. for, what's that? That's, yeah, that's the alarm feature of this. That's basically telling you, hey, I've timed out. For, you know, probably 10 minutes, it'll do that. Every 20 seconds, just a bzz, bzz, and that's just a warning that, hey, I've timed out. You need to reset me. So, but that's also the reason this isn't for bigger tanks. You know, that's, it, it's, that's the safety on it is this timer system. So. Right. And again, to, to me, it make, makes perfect sense <laughs> rather than emptying buckets of water, right? And on the on the full size osmolator, the system's a little different. We have the optic sensors, our main sensor, and then we've got the float switch as a backup. And then if that were to fail, it's got a ten minute timer. And in ten minutes, depending on the pump speed, this was one thing I wanted to point out. A lot of people have a, a very small tank, and they'll say, "Well, hey, you know, it pumps too much water." Um, you have an adjustment inside the newer osmolators that lets you set the speed of the pump. So you can turn that down and reduce how much water gets added um, or how quickly it gets sure. added. And <clears throat> with, with the safeties on this, we don't have that same timer limit, but we do have 10 minutes, which depending on your pump speed is going to allow it to add about a gallon and a half to three gallons. So. And now do you get many calls? on that particular issue, meaning, hey, I can't fill it up enough and it's going to kind of safety mode? Or? Well, on the nano osmolator, yes. Okay. Um, that, that's a pretty common issue. It's covered in the manual on pages 21 through 29, but 
The fact Not that you know those page numbers. Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> right. that tells you how often this comes up. Um, on the on the regular Osmolator, though, you know the the only settings are you can turn off the alarm, you can set the pump speed, um, and then besides that, everything's pretty much preset. The biggest problem with with the Osmolator tends to be um, installation issues where you get a siphon or the optic sensor. It only knows the difference between air and water. If you put it next to your skimmer or even have the top off hose from your reservoir aimed at the sensor and some bubbles get driven down in there and stick to the sensor, mm -hmm. it's going to continue to think it's dry because it, like I said, it only knows air versus water. And so it'll keep filling. So eliminating sources of bubbles and then avoiding a siphon, which anytime you're, if you have an 18 inch high reservoir, that hose needs to end 18 inches above the ground. If it ends 16, two inches of water can siphon in from your reservoir after your pump turned off. And that's that's another very common, commonly overlooked issue. And, and so you're saying again, the height can't exceed right. 18 inches? Right. If, no, I mean, you know, it's just, you could have a reservoir that's 24 inches high, but then you're either gonna have to route the hose up to your tank Somehow the, the tip, the end of that hose needs to be above whatever the water level is in your reservoir. Which makes sense. Uh, to avoid water siphoning in after the pump turns off. Very good. And again, it kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? Because water knows one way, gravity, right? Now. Right. <laughs> okay, so as far as common kind of issues then with the Osmolator, are those kind of the main ones between the Nano and the, uh, you know. That's, the, that's pretty much covers the the most common issues I, I get questions about. Okay, so now what was what kind of stands out in your mind as far as one of the most interesting kind of challenging questions that you've ever had as it relates to kind of the Osmolator that you kind of had a troubleshoot to figure out and you went, ah. Well, I mean, one that comes up fairly often with the Osmolator, there's another safety on this if you... You know, see if I can get it close up. Mm -hmm. You can see that all the way around the edge of the circuit board are two parallel yes. contact lines. Yes. That's a sensor system, practically. It, it basically detects if at any point those were bridged, corroded, it shuts the whole thing down. And the reason for that is, you know, you've got some sort of short or damage to the board now. If it were to try to work, if that safety wasn't there, well, maybe the sensors aren't going to work. Maybe it's going to just keep filling. So instead, it shuts down, and to alert you that that's what's happened, the two low light flashes, the red two highlight stays on solid. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one of the more common things that I hear about is, well, that water damage indicators come on. I never got it wet. Well... All you have to do is plug in your power supply after it landed in a puddle or a sump, and the water on that will short that. So that's one of the more common repairs I do is we have to unsolder this power connection, get under there, clean everything, touch up those trace lines, and then everything works again. But, um, yeah, just water in general just isn't going to work around electronics so and and you know people do say well how come it's not waterproof i i don't think you're going to find i don't know of many if any aquarium electronics that are waterproof it, it comes down to 
it's either going to be very expensive to do or you're going to completely eliminate any chance of repairing this once it's covered in resin, just like the pumps, you know, it's sealed up. Something like this, we may need to change a sensor down the road. And if this is all sealed, there's no way to work on it. It's right. throw away and done. Right. And so you have to leave things open to be able to work on them like that. But from my end of it, I just think it's amazing the amount of technology that you get at a relatively inexpensive cost, right? Meaning yeah. a lot of people look at it and, and, and they think, wow, man, that's that's a lot of money, right? Um, for an auto top-off. But, you know, just sitting here talking to you about, okay, one safety feature that I'm sure nobody even knows about, right? I mean, and, and that's a serious safety feature, right? Yeah. And uh, and that's, to me, you know, things like that that say, you know, it's like people who buy the Apple products that say, listen, they don't want to tinker. They just want to know that, you know, again, at the end of the day, you've thought as best as you can to create a quality product, right, that won't break, you know, under normal conditions. Right? Yeah. No, and I mean, we do take the feedback we get and, you know, what we learn from returns and that. I mean, everything, when I do a repair, we have a, uh, a method to enter the reason for the repair and all those statistics are recorded. And about every six months, things get a little tweak or an upgrade when we see, hey, this isn't working out quite right. So sometimes problems take us a little longer to solve, but we're always working on trying to make it better. So. Right, right. Okay, so... Couple things that I got out of that conversation. Number one, you said uh, you can change the the speed earlier on in our conversation, yeah. and you said if it was kind of a newer model, how many years has that feature been out? Since uh, beginning of 2012, they actually started in November 2011, but for a while both of them were kind of on the market. So really, by January 2012, if any of them should have that speed control on them. Okay, and. Um, the other question that kind of came up is when somebody sends you a product for repair, right? Yeah. Let's say that to your point, oops, drop the controller in the water, you know, and uh, and they sent that in. Um, on average, how long does it take for you to kind of turn that around as far as getting it back to them? And then what's an average kind of cost? And a range is fine, right? Because we know it's always going to change. I mean, I, I'd say half the repairs that come in are warranty the other half are not mm -hmm. um within warranty of course there's no cost to the customer other than the cost of sending it in um as far as the time to do a repair it's going i try to do every repair within a day of receiving it okay but i do every repair myself so it's uh it's rare on a typical day i usually have two to three repairs and mm -hmm. i can knock them out there are days, though, where, you know, a right. big commercial customer sends in a pallet of stuff that needs to be repaired, and, and that can take, that, that can put me behind for a while. Sure. Um, but for the most part, it's it's usually within a day. Right. Um, and as far as cost outside of warranty, I mean, the most common repairs, like on an Osmolator, replacing the optic sensor, that's $28.80. Um, on a pump, if the motor goes out on one of the DC pumps, even that's reasonable. It's going to be usually in the eighty to one hundred and twenty dollar range, mm -hmm. um, and that's you know complete back half of the pump, and usually an upgrade if you've got an older product because all the changes that have been made, you're going to get all those upgrades. Right. Um, so, 
you know, that's that's probably ballpark range. And and even if something is unrepairable, I usually try to work with people and get them a discount on the current equivalent. So sure. And, and to me, to just try to do the right thing, right? At the end of the day, right. be fair for everybody. When so, as far as kind of those like DC pumps stuff like that. Um, I know you have various distributors, so to speak, or outlets, maybe is a better choice of words, for like some pieces and parts or where, where you know, if people wanted to change pumps, where do you recommend kind of um, the well, best route? I mean, the only place that you're going to be able to get all the parts is our website, Tunzi.com. Your manual will have a breakdown of the parts. It's not perfect, but usually on the Tunzi website, if you enter, you know, 6095, the 6095 and all the associated spare parts are going to come up. Um, like I said, it's not perfect. There's always a few spare parts that don't make it into that column. But if you have your manual, it'll have a breakdown of everything for it. Um, and you can download the manual on the website, too. So um, a lot of the more common spare parts, like a replacement osmolator pump, magnet holders, most of your, you know, larger mail order companies like Bulk Reef Supply, Premium Aquatics, Marine Depot, they're going to stock the more common parts, Champion Lighting. Sure, so. sure. Okay. Um, so before I ask my next question, which is totally not like pump related, is there anything else you want to kind of convey as it relates to kind of, again, maybe lessons or maybe something we didn't cover as it relates to kind of pumps, maintenance, and the, the common kind of issues you may see? I'd say pretty much, you know, if you take good care of these things, they should last you at least five years. Um, not to say you wouldn't need a spare part now and again, but they they generally are pretty well built and will last a, a pretty long time. Right. And I know there's people out there that say, geez, you know, that's a lot of money for five years. Well, the aquarium hobby, things evolve like everything else. Don't see too many people that want a five-plus-year-old computer. Um, right. And, you know, it's just... Things change, and besides that, there's also practical limits to how long electronics can last. Uh, you know, most of your capacitors that are commonly used are seven to eight-year lifespans. So your electronic components themselves just wear out, and and that's kind of one of the limiting factors on the life of, of electronics, aquarium, or otherwise. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? It just does. <clears throat> Okay, so now I want to jump into a few other little side uh, products, we'll call it. Okay. Like, you'll notice this little uh, nano behind me. I've got your little LED, right, which I just love that okay. little thing, right? Yeah. Uh, what kind of maintenance on those guys? Because to me, it's like a set it and forget it, and it just kind of works. But is there anything that you, you have issues there? I, I would generally agree that those are pretty well set and forget, but, you know, on our LED lights, they're they're designed to be submerged to, to cool them to help dissipate the heat. So you're going to have to deal with algae growth on the lands, um, and that should just be wiped down periodically. If they really get encrusted with some coral, and you might soak them in vinegar the same way you would the pumps. Mm -hmm. But other than that, again, no major issues there, right? Yeah, that's that's a sealed unit, nothing really to maintain, so... Because yeah, a lot of times viewers were asked from my end of it, like uh, for lighting in a sump. And I'm like, man, I love that little thing just in that area because, again, it's got the perfect spectrum and it can be around water. It just doesn't matter. Right. You know, so. Um, the, the, other, the other thing that, that I questioned, what about like on like, say, you, you know, you're like your magnets that you've got. Sure. 
Is there any maintenance on those kind of things or? Well, the, the blades and pads wear out, um, you know, lifespan on those pads and blades is going to depend on how frequently they're used and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the type of material you're going through. If you're going through a lot of coralline, it's going to be shorter. I would say if you were like a heavy, like a maintenance company user that you're taking this around with you and cleaning a bunch of tanks or you have a fish room, the blades might only last a month or two, but for the average home hobbyist with one tank, um, three to six months on a, on a set of blades. So. And there's no maintenance. In other words, you just use them as blades. You just, yeah, you just change out the blades. So. Okay. okay. And then what about your skimmers, right? Because you got pumps in your skimmers. The same same basic thing. Okay. Every about every three to six months, you need to take the pump out and clean it. Um, usually six months will suffice. So, and you don't have to worry about anything with the little air intakes or anything like that. Those it? those get clogged. I mean, what I like to do is about every, let's say every six months, kind of a light cleaning. Take take things apart, rinse them out. Every year, year and a half, you might fill up a bucket. You know old salt bucket you have around seven gallon size bucket that the whole thing can fit in and uh put probably five gallons of ro water in enough to almost cover it and then a half gallon to a gallon of white vinegar and this is where i would plug it in and let it run because you want to draw the the idea is to submerge everything including the air intake and then draw in that air water mixture through the air intake to get all the salt creep and calcium buildup out of there so and how long would you let that run? I think you'd probably need to do that for about two to three hours to get it clean. Okay. Okay. Good deal. So as far as maintenance and in general, um, if we if we had to guess the, the top kind of, again, repairs that you make or that you see, have we covered them all? I would say so, yeah. We've probably covered 90% of them. Okay, dope. Um, then on a different topic, What's new at, at Tunzi, right? What's, you know, what's kind of, where are you going with the, the Tunzi products and, and what do you see well, happening? I think we'll have to maybe get back together in uh, end of May. Okay. Yeah, this year's Interzoo. We got a lot of big things we're going to show at Interzoo. There's a few that probably aren't going to quite make it at Interzoo. And mm-hmm. uh, with luck, I'll be showing them at Magna this year. So. Okay. So then that sounds like the perfect place to cut it. And then what we'll do is we'll pick up another video at the end of May where you can talk about what's new and what's good, right? Sounds good. Well, again, thanks for spending the time, sir. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks, Russ. Every time I talk to somebody in this hobby, I always kind of learn something new. And it's just another example, right? Like the organic acids. Again, I would have never known that if we didn't kind of have that conversation. And I thank Roger for sharing that. And again, I hope you all found some value in it. Now, if you heard me say many, many times, give my sponsors a chance to earn your business. Right? That's the bulk group supplies, the premium aquatics, the worldwide cools, the tonsies, the ecosystems. Again, all good, honest people that deserve a chance to earn that business. Again, give them a shot if you're looking for any kind of reef-keeping saltwater aquarium kind of need. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. And then lastly, if you're looking for one of the best fish foods on the planet, check out American Reefs HPD. You can find that at AmericanReefHPD.com. Again, I'm Russ Kickle, and thanks for watching this episode of American Reef.